Hello and welcome to Spirituality Isn't Woo Woo with Amy. I'm your host and today I'm going to speak to Rachel from Ray of Light. She's a yoga therapist, a couple and family therapist. We're going to delve into relationships, intimacy, desire, communication, and lots of juicy topics. Let's get into it. I'm so excited to have Rachel from Ray of Light on the podcast today. I'm super excited because Rachel is my yoga mentor and she also is a couple and families therapist. And we are going to be discussing sex, intimacy, and all things relationships. So welcome. Thank you. So good to be here with you. Me too. I'm so excited. I have so many questions and I thought what we could do is just go over how we've met. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah. So I I found Rachel through a mutual contact that I met in Bali and I was talking about how I wanted to get into yoga teaching. So this beautiful lady recommended Rachel and as soon as I got in contact with her and just felt into her energy... Um, I just knew that she was someone that had so much knowledge and would be a mentor. And just the style of yoga that she teaches is absolutely beautiful. And it's brought us to here today. So I'm so excited to have you on. Anything you want to share with how we met? I just, yeah, I just love that. You know, how how um, connections happen through through somebody else who had been on one of my trainings and she was in Bali and then you know just that ripple effect um is just really beautiful oh it's so beautiful and it's brought us here as we start to talk about something completely new for us together yes a whole new a whole new a whole new realm for us it is I'm so excited (laughs) and I've got so many questions and I thought maybe what we could do is you could share your journey so Maybe just your journey into where you've landed. Sure. So I, um, I originally studied counselling. Um, and so counselling has been there for longer uh, than, than teaching yoga. So um, I guess I haven't shared that much publicly about my work as a, as a couple and family therapist because I guess my, my yoga's always been my primary thing that I've shared out in the community publicly. However, I've um, always worked as a counsellor since uh, my late 20s, actually. I started off in the field of um, addiction and supporting people um, and families who have been affected by alcohol and other drug addiction. And so the yoga really helped me. You know, it's been part of my life also since my late 20s um, to stay, I guess, to stay grounded, to help me be present for people um, who I'm, you know, holding space for uh, in the therapy kind of space. So, um, yeah, so the yoga and those two things have been this kind of beautiful intertwined um, mm-hmm. parts of my parts of my work. And I think I, as I've gone through, you know, really we often think that yoga is about some kind of uh, physical mastery However, one of my teachers would say that yoga is actually about relationship. It's actually, it's not, the practice is not the goal. It's how we show up in the world that that is the goal. And so there's this beautiful, I guess, um, connection between the yoga and the relationship counseling um, that, that I've been That is beautiful. Offering. That is so beautiful. 
And just a side note to that, and that's what I was trying to articulate before. I was too excited, but um, just that style of yoga that I had done previous to meeting you was always a certain style. And when I met you and we had just the way that we use the breath and we married the breath and the body and the mind and slowed everything down and connected our into our deep essence. It was just mm. magical. Just magical. And I'm so grateful that I met you and that taken me on a spiritual journey. So thank you. You're welcome. And just I guess personally, you know, maybe I've been drawn to this work because relationships aren't always easy. So, you know, I reflect on why why did I study relationships? Why did I study family? You know, and, and really it's kind of, I guess, you know, we're all drawn to these things to gain a deeper understanding of ourselves and um, and why we act how we act or why we show up how we show up. So a lot of the work that I've done, you know, that I now offer in the world is because of my own curiosity, because of my own struggles with, um, you know, maintaining intimacy with uh, finding connection with being okay in myself so um, I sit in the space of also just being the student of life not necessarily having all my shit together no, no. <laughs> if that makes any sense no, yeah. no, like... <laughs> <laughs> oh it's amazing um so the reason I wanted to talk about sex and relationships and intimacy and I guess any other uh, subtitle of that that comes up for you is because mm. my my idea of spirituality we all have our own and I'm going to ask you that at the end but for me personally my view of spirituality is the whole self so all of those different parts of ourselves developing ourselves transforming ourselves connection to something great in ourselves whether that's connection to others whether that's universe God whatever that is source whatever that is for us mm. Yeah. And so, you know, intimacy, relationships, sex, those are all parts of the self and topics that aren't really discussed a lot. Yeah, I love what you just said. It's like, you know, all of those things you've just said, relationship to self, relationship to source, um, it's all that that is spirituality. So there's a beautiful connection between wanting to be a spiritual person and wanting to be conscious in the, in our relationships. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. And so what I wanted to discuss is just some topics, I guess, around um, sex and intimacy, not only in our relationships, but I suppose with ourselves and our own individual relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And we had spoken previous to the podcast just around some topics and some areas. And you had mentioned that emotional safety underpins a lot of these topics that we're going to be discussing today. Yeah. So explain what emotional safety is and how that pertains to this discussion. Sure. So I guess, you know, right from the moment that we're born, we're wired for connection. We need other people. You know, we, actually, human babies are one of the infants that need the most amount of connection. If we actually look at other other mammals and species, you know, we need our uh, our primary caregivers for a significant amount of time before mm -hmm. we're ready to kind of become interdependent. And so, emotional safety is about having, a, I guess, a secure a secure base. 
And there's three kind of ingredients that we that we that we need as human beings, both within the intimate relationship or the sexual relationship, as well as within other relationships, like with our primary caregiver. Mm. So we need to have proximity and closeness. We need to have, you know, a, a sense of sharing, being able to talk, being able to play, have affection. Um, and, and so this kind of idea of, you know, being attuned to, you know, that someone can see us and respond to us. Um, we need a, a safe haven, support, validation. We need acceptance. We need the people, uh, our important people in our lives to take an interest in us. And of course, as children particularly, we need boundaries. Hmm. Um, and then we also need continuity. That's the third ingredient, that we need this sense of maintaining connection even when there are disagreements and this feeling that that our person isn't going to give up on us and so this is kind of for any relationship but then also within the intimate relationship obviously we have the the sexual relationship as well as an addition mm. yeah there's right sorry you cut out then oh it's okay so many layers so many layers yes yeah, so this idea of emotional safety is we need somebody who's um, responsive, you know, and attuned. And I guess we also need that, not just from other, but also from from ourselves. So to be mm. attuned to ourselves. Um, so mm. something that um, not all of us get to learn in our in our primary attachment relationship. And so that's where it can get tricky, I guess, when when um when we move into intimate relationships because we're often mirroring the same um, patterns that we bring forward from our um, primary bond in childhood yeah like how what we learn in those formative years and we create into our subconscious and operate from that level i guess unconsciously yeah absolutely so with intimacy because intimacy again there's so many variations of what intimacy is you know whether that's intimacy in a friendship or a sexual relationship or ourselves and and then again it, there's so many layers to that so in a in a relationship I wanted to ask you what is one of the most discussed topics um, or one of the things that you see with couples in regards to intimacy and how can couples or or partners create more intimacy in their relationship? Yes, yeah, so a lot of the time I'm looking when I'm working with a couple for different no nodal points where perhaps the, 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 those three ingredients that I just mentioned, closeness, support and continuity, perhaps have um, been interrupted, right? So often that can be, you know, um, added stress. It can be the loss of a parent or, or grief or an addiction, or it can be that, um, that one partner has become unwell, or there's, there's, they've had a baby added into the mix. So we've gone from, you know, a dyad of two people into, you know, baby makes three. So there's all these kind of points during an intimate relationship where, where we can uh, become disconnected or, or misattuned in that way. So that's often what I'm looking for when I'm doing a little bit of a relationship history with couples around intimacy. Um, and also just because of the demands of our current lifestyles, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
this idea of trying to live in a balanced, harmonious way in a society that is really unbalanced. That's right? Right. Where many of us, like you and I, are living away from our family of origin. So yes. the, the village isn't there. So when we add children into the mix, often there can be, you know, a lack of support. The village, you know, we have to create our own villages uh, beyond our family of origin village that we may have had or our tribe. Um, so, you know, um, and I love the idea that, you know, Esther Perel, one of my favorite relationship therapists, oh, yes. is that we're trying to get all of our needs met. You know, there's never been a time where there's been so much pressure on the couple to be everything to each other. So that idea that, you know, we're looking to this one person to meet all of our, uh, meet all of our needs is something that I like to kind of, um, yeah, be curious about. So there's, yeah. The lack, the lack of the village, being isolated from family support, our busy lives, the fact that our society is imbalanced and here we are trying to live in a harmonious way. Um, so that's part of the dilemma, you know, bigger picture beyond even what's happening uh, with the couple. So I think it's helpful to, to zoom out to what's happening, right? Yeah, and like you said, it's it's about that picture when you first initially meeting with someone, that picture of what it looks like because as you said, it's a you know massive like a macro level where uh, how much support does that person have? Um, you know what friends do they have? And looking at the whole picture in order to see you know how much they're putting on that one person, or as you said before about how they were raised and if they're carrying some ways that aren't serving them anymore and just looking at the whole picture. Mm. So that's often, you know, where we start. It's, it's, yeah, really getting that big picture. Um, and then, you know, there's the other dilemma of um, intimacy, I guess, and that desire for intimacy and also that, that desire for security, you know, and, and so we can, this is another thing so beautifully about, um, is that dilemma of wanting excitement and sexual newness mm. and you know, desire and wanting at the same time, the paradox of wanting security, you know, and familiarity. So it's kind of interesting little dilemma that many of us have in our intimate relationships. I know you've been married for, for quite some time as well, like I have. It's, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a job, right? <laughs> to pretend to, to our relationships and and to kind of keep the the fire alive and and just to, i think a big part of it and and i've noticed this you know with myself and just different people over the years is that initial stage when you fall in love and you can't get enough of each other and you might be hiding parts of yourself because you're just you know you know unconsciously or subconscious whatever you're you're sort of hiding parts of yourself and um and then as time goes on some of these things come up and then people are trying to deal with how to be intimate and how to be honest. And it can be quite hard for people to be honest. Yeah, I talk to couples a lot about continue, continuing to like that. Mm. So those nodal points that I was talking about earlier can be times where we start to turn away from that person. Mm. Um, so, you know, continuing to show up to that person to share you know our, our our worries, our struggles. Um, keeping keeping that um, that that continuity of maintaining connection, even when things get tough. 
What would you say are a couple of tips that people can use when wanting to create greater intimacy with their, you know, a partner or husband or wife or whatever? What are some sort of things that people can implement to help with that? So one I would say is to to share in a non-blaming way, you know, that you have a desire for for more intimacy. But I guess we need to take kind of responsibility. And sometimes when we take things like our needs to our partners, we need to reflect on how we voice it, mm. um, because it can it can we can go to them with a complaint versus. Um, with a desire, so one one thing would be to reflect on how you how you speak to your uh, loved one about about your needs and how you can do that in a way that is um, non blaming. Mm. Um, another thing is to create time and space, you know, and to actually have, put it in your diary, just like you know, like you would a dentist appointment or whatever. Actually making time and prioritizing working on our relationships is so important. Um, having, having, you know, your classic date night um, doesn't have to be a fancy dinner out in a fancy restaurant. It can be, you know, going for a bushwalk, going for a beach walk, um, going for coffee, sitting and watching, you know, the waves or wherever you, wherever you live. So mm. one thing... Um, I often I've done with my husband and do with couples is to create like a, a jar of cheap, quick, easy things that you can do to connect. So, you know, you write them on a little piece of paper, like coffee date, you know, walk on the beach, bushwalk, cook dinner together, um, something like that. Really easy, cheap things that you can do um, that you do at least one one per week. Yeah. And I think that just doing different things and that variety keeps, I guess, you know, that old saying, the spice alive, because you're not doing the same thing all the time. You're having new experiences. Yeah. Playfulness, such an important yeah. quality, you know, um, is, is, to, is not to forget to play. Uh, a little a book that I often recommend to couples that I'm working with is called Eight Dates by John Gottman. And this is a cute little book and it literally has eight dates that you go on. Um, where you talk about different, um, there's, you know, there's a date where you talk about sex, there's a date where you talk about money, there's a date where you talk about family. Um, so that's a great little resource for couples. I've never heard of that. That's really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's good to have that, that, um, not buffer, but sort of that thing that sparks it versus someone bringing it up out of the blue, a conversation yeah. you want to have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Gottmans um, who are, who have done a lot of relationship research, um, quite well-known couple therapists, they, um, they talk about soft startups. So rather than going in gung-ho, you know, it's like softening, you know, mm -hmm. making sure you're regulated, making sure that you are calm, noticing your tone, you know, your timing, even checking in with your partner is now a good time for us to talk about something that's been on my mind. You know, because so often we can feel like there's some urgency and um, and that can indicate that there's, you know, that we're not regulated, that we might be in more of a sympathetic um, kind of activation space. So, um, yeah, yeah, thinking about the timing and, and the soft startup, I think is a really, really sweet little kind of cue, cue as well. 
Yeah. And there's just, again, I, I'm using this word again, but just so many layers because then we have attachment styles, don't we? We have, as you were saying, someone's activated and in, in a different energy system than someone else. And, um, and we're like, we want to talk right now because mm. we're anxious and someone might be avoiding. And it's just, as you said, simply coming back and thinking, is this person ready to have this conversation? Because we're going to have a better conversation with a better outcome than if we're both activated or yeah. we're both, or, or yeah. if someone feels ambushed by the other. Yeah. So another little way, so one of my friends always sends her husband an email. <laughs> and this gives, he, he actually responds a lot better to this email because then they get to talk about it. So she'll email what she's worried about or her concern. And that gives him the head, heads up to think about it because um, not to be gender biased, but often we find it hard to know what we're actually feeling about something. And some of us need more time to kind of really tune into what we think about something or, or you know what I mean? Sometimes in that moment, um, we don't quite know how to respond. So her husband really responds to this kind of buffer space of knowing about the issue and then talking about it later. I love that. Mm. Work, <laughs> work for some. Just, you know, finding your way. Yeah. And knowing there's also the sandwich as well. So, you know, we want to kind of compliment. We want to share what's going well in the relationship, you know, and then, you know, perhaps sharing something that we're struggling with and, and then backing it up again with something that we really appreciate about the person. So that kind of feedback sandwich is something also to consider. Yeah. And it's true, isn't it? When someone comes up to us and wants to discuss something and they're calm and they're um, coming at it from that space of the sandwich, you're more likely to um, be in a better headspace and calmer and have an outcome that is best for both than to sort of, you do this and you do that and the other person's trying to deflect and it just yeah. goes yeah yeah certainly so things like you know your i statements and in order to ma maintain uh that that continuity that secure base it's actually five positives to one feedback one negative wow five to one that was what the re that's what um so there's some research done on around around that so that's something else to think about Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, this leads me kind of into the next question where this is a big sort of topic and there's been so much around it in the world. But I wanted to discuss like the disconnection of the feminine um, in women where women have had to step up, I guess, not only in society where we have to uh, not only take care of children or the home, but also come back to work. Um and there might be a little bit more of um, an unbalanced string, I suppose, between the, the masculine and the feminine. And I just wanted to ask your opinion if you feel like the disconnection of the feminine can affect a intimate relationship. Sure. I think if either partner is disconnected from, um, yes, from, yes. from themselves, yes. Where, you know, obviously even the masculine oh, sorry, has, um, has feminine qualities, um, so, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the feminine has the qualities of being kind of cyclical in nature. You know, naturally the waxing and waning, you know, like, like with the moon. Our desire is going to be waxing and waning as well. Um, yeah. Our closeness in our relationships is going to be waxing and waning. Um, and, um, you know, the feminine needs, needs 
security, needs to be nurtured, needs to be seen, needs trust, um, and we need um, and, and praise. Um, and the masculine has that energy of kind of more outcome focused, more competitive, more logical. So I guess the reflection is for us, um, all of us, is to how can we nourish that feminine, you know, that unstructured, that spontaneous. Um, I've been doing a weekly um, five rhythms dance class, you know, because I, you know, even yoga, for instance, can be quite kind of masculine, you know, you do your, you know, it's kind of like quite prescribed. So kind of going outside of the bounds of, you know, the straight line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess where I was going with that was, I suppose, as what I can see in the world can be women that want to take on a lot of that masculine energy. So they have trouble receiving, they have trouble being. And then when they have trouble receiving and being, um, it's hard to connect to someone because we're just dysregulated, I guess, um, yeah. in our roles. We, we can't, have both. We can't be dysregulated and connected. No. So the minute that we're in either sympathetic or dorsal in our nervous system, it, the world is unsafe and I'm protecting myself from connection. Mm. So the only time we can be connected is when we are regulated and in ventral vagal in our nervous system. Yes, I know that you do a lot around regulation. Yes, I do. So what is, what is, because you'd be the, a great person to ask on, on the spot. So I suppose someone who does feel dysregulated and activated and um, in that, that frame of mind, how can they connect back and regulate? What's a, what's a couple of ways that people can regulate to be able to be in a more being state? First of all, my invitation is not, not to make the dysregulation wrong mm. and meet the dysregulation with compassion. Mm. So often we want to, as soon as I want to try and fix my regulated state, that often feeds the dysregulation. Does that make sense? Because it's oh, like, yeah. but actually to acknowledge where I am, name it to tame it. One of my contemporary teachers, <laughs> Gabor Maté, talk, talks about naming it to tame it and naming it for ourselves. And because we're talking about relationships, naming it to your partner as well. Wow. So a great first step. <laughs> yeah, like you said, we're trying to always fix something. This, th we have an emotion, we want to fix it. We have a thought, we want to change it. Um, yeah. And sometimes you need to sit with it, like you said, uh, tame it. So, what was it? What was the saying? Name it to tame it. Name it to tame it. How good is that? <laughs> so, because what I, my hunch is always, if we're dysregulated there's probably a reason that probably we probably needed to be dysregulated at some point during our lives. Mm. So our nervous system is always working to keep us safe, even though we might be dysregulated. Does that make sense? So, oh, yeah. so don't make your nervous system wrong. And, and I guess for me, it's about inquiring, you know, how, how in the past did that actually support you to, to, to stay alive, <laughs> mm. you know, and to actually work into some of that, um, into some of that, making sense of the past because the past is informing the present. Oh, totally. Mm. totally. 
Now that's really good. That's really powerful because I think a lot, like I said, a lot of people do want to just fix, um, but creating space uh, can allow it to pass. And then we're going to be more connected. Yeah. And meeting it with compassion, one of the hardest things, but if we really want healing, then we need to, to find a way and to start to find some support perhaps to help us relate to our internal world with compassion. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the line of sex and intimacy and partnerships, I wanted to discuss, um, I suppose, people that might see you that have different needs. So maybe where someone has specific needs and someone else is not really at that same point. How can couples address that or what's the best way for them to communicate that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's getting, it's practicing, um, this, you know, sharing what our needs are day to day. And being okay that sometimes our partners aren't going to be able to meet those needs. So, and I guess I'm talking about not necessarily sexual needs, but all of the needs we have as human beings. You know, we have needs for autonomy. We have needs for integrity, interdependence. We need to be physically nurtured. Um, so practicing sharing what you need um, with those around you um, is is a, is a beautiful thing to start doing. And that will help you if you do have uh, sexual needs that you're not discussing with your partner to, to just get used to, you know, get used to having your needs heard and expressing them in those other ways. And that will help you to feel more comfortable in expressing your needs in terms of within the sexual relationship. Yeah, because a large part of the intimacy, um, I'm not speaking for all women, but the women that I've met or known is, again, not just the sexual side, but the intimacy as far as the closeness and the communication and and just the proximity and and the the time together so sometimes those needs might not be matched either and so like you said just communicating what we need and being vulnerable yeah Mm. yeah and and I think you just that idea of you know um turning towards each other um that that need for closeness um Certainly, that's something I can relate to. You know, I don't feel like being sexually intimate with my husband when we're distant emotionally. Right. You know, and it's when I take a risk and turn towards him and share something, you know, that might be quite difficult to share um, with him about how I'm feeling. But, you know, so often, I mean, I, I know in my relationship, my husband always surprises me, you know, that he can actually hear a whole lot more than sometimes I give him credit for. And that builds that sense of, safety and feeling being held and I guess supports me in being vulnerable again with him it takes someone to take that first step right yeah and then sometimes we've got to coach our partners to let them know how to handle that too so like I've (laughs) I guess my husband yeah had a lot of practice (laughs) having been married to a relationship counselor for over a decade (laughs) that I had to teach him how to hold it because you know he used to want to fix it (laughs) So he's had to work on his regulation of not moving into fix-it mode. And when he does, I can gently point it out, you know. 
<laughs> actually, what I need right now is you just to hold me. What I need right now is for you to actually say blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I actually, I actually get quite um, bossy in a nice regulated way with what I actually need from him in that moment when I, you know, after I've shared. And now he's picked it up and, and he can run with it. But it, it took some, some work and some couple counselling for us to get to that place. Yeah, that leads me into one of the final questions, which is that there is, there was, I guess, maybe not so much now, but there was a stigma around counseling and therapy and mm. counseling specifically, you know, meaning that, oh, if we're going to counseling, then our relationship is not in a good place. But uh, yeah, did you want to speak on that? So maybe um, that yeah. stigma has been on therapy. How do you want to speak on the benefits and what you see that as? Yeah, I mean, I see it as a gift to our relationship. And unfortunately, the, the research does say that couples actually wait five years before reaching out for support. So no wonder people often feel like, okay, this is like the last, you know, the last chance. So the invitation, I think, is to, to, to kind of, to try and get to couple counselling before, you know, you get to the five-year mark. Mm. it is an investment you know so many people now are investing in their personal development in their in their well-being you know our relationships are so important um so i guess it's about putting our relationship at the top of the pecking order even as parents you know having a secure base within the couple relationship it's a gift to your children you know so i think um re reorganizing the you know the hierarchy um, within, you know, within the family to really support and to really value the couple um, as the most important because it's from the couple that the care then goes down towards, you know, the children, etc. So um, it's a really generous act to actually step through the door of a of a relationship counselling experience. I love how you said it was a gift to the relationship. That's yeah very um true because sometimes there could be things that you don't see like you might be communicating with your partner and it takes someone else to mirror that in a different way uh, for the person to truly get what they're saying yeah and it's um it's a gift it really is a gift if you can find the right person uh, someone that you both feel connected to and safe with uh it's it's wonderful can be really wow. really uplifting for the relationship oh beautiful i could seriously ask you so many more questions but we'll have <laughs> part two sometime um sure. so one of the last questions that i always ask people on is what is spirituality to you personally for me it's i guess just being connected being connected for me to to the source um to the divine and, um, you know, I, I do that through through my, you know, my way of connecting is through the yoga practice, is through mantra chanting and um, rituals. Um, but I think it's in the, in the day-to-day, -day, in, the, in the mundane also, you know, um, mm. seeing, seeing the sacred everywhere within our relationships, you know, within the housework and the cooking and... Um, mm. taking an attitude of uh, devotion into all aspects. Mm. And when I, I'm not saying I do that all the time, I definitely, <laughs> forget, you know, but I guess it's the journey of remembering and forgetting 
and and recalling in that 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 sacredness um, whenever I realized I've forgotten. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that, and I love that asking that question because everyone has such a a different answer, but just so beautiful. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on, Rachel. I just wanted to end by you telling people how they can find you on social media and maybe anything that you're doing at the moment. Sure. So you can find me Ray of Light Triple Zero on Instagram or rayoflightyoga.com. And I I have a clinic where I see couples, individuals and families. So you're welcome to jump on my website and you know you can book online. Um, and also I have uh, one of my courses coming up called Befriending Your Nervous System, which is an online five-week course all about uh, understanding the nervous system through the lens of polyvagal theory and how we can um, learn to regulate and co-regulate perhaps more efficiently. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much, Rachel. I look forward to having you on again. Thanks, Amy. See you later. Bye. Bye.